If you have a Bible with you this morning, please turn with me. We're going to start a conversation today, I hope, over the next few weeks to continue it with you in Matthew. And in a few moments, we're going to be reading from Matthew chapter 13. But I want to just start this conversation from a slightly different place. Let's go to Matthew chapter 11. Perhaps you could get this up on the screen. Matthew 11 verse 12 says that from the days of John the Baptist until now, would you say now for me? It's important that we enter into that word and have that clear in our mind. The kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing, say amen, Amen. and forceful men, obviously that's a generic term, will lay hold of it, say that's me. Should we try that again with a little bit more conviction? No, not that bit, the whole thing, the whole thing, the whole thing, the whole thing. From the days of John the Baptist, no, you don't have to read it out with me, come on, please, please, please. It's just the repeat the words I say. But the days of John the Baptist until now. Now. Thank you. How is it so complicated? How has it become so complicated? The kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing. Say amen. Amen. And forceful men and women shall lay hold of it. Say, that's me. That's me. Okay, let's look at this for a moment. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing. When we became Christians, actually what truly happened to us, not only were our sins forgiven and we were brought into relationship with God, but we became part of the kingdom of God. Sometimes I think we've allowed the kingdom of God to be narrowed right down to just being part of a church. But actually the kingdom is far more expansive than just the church. God is working in our world in all kinds of wonderful ways. There are many testimonies of God doing great things in film and in theater. Aren't you grateful for that? Because many people are influenced by what happens in popular media. And any time I see a narrative of heaven played out and a a theme from a film, I'm always heartened by the fact that God is involved in Hollywood. You don't sound very convinced? Here's why we have a problem with it, because we know there are lots of things that don't come out of Hollywood. Amen? But let me ask you the question a little bit more personally. Are there occasionally not some good things that come out of you? (laughs) So God can be in something even if that something or someone has not been totally surrendered to him. Yes? Now, over the last 10, 15 years, there's been repeated narratives coming out of Hollywood of redemption and and biblical themes. Now, I know that they're all slightly a little bit off, but aren't you? Aren't I sometimes? So God is at work in our world, not just inside the church. God is doing great things in the arts. He's also doing good things in politics. We're living in very interesting times politically. If there was ever a time where God is choosing the foolish things of this world, to confound certain wisdoms, it would be probably now in politics. Could you believe 30 years ago that some of the people that are at the forefront of politics would have ever been there? Would you have allowed those people to look after your children? (laughs) Some of you said yes to that question. You don't even know them. That's against the law. So God is doing great things, and his kingdom is far more than just the church. 
He's at work in every sphere of society, wanting to bring a new world order, to usher in a kingdom of love and joy and peace and fullness and blessing. And we happen to be partakers of that. Of course, God is with us and he is for us. He abides in our lives and he works through us to do great things. So we are also part of the kingdom. The kingdom has come to live in us and the kingdom needs an expression through us. And God is doing lots of great things through the church in all kinds of ways. But what we need to make up our mind about is simply this. Is the kingdom really advancing? And if it is advancing, could it possibly be advancing here as opposed to somewhere else? And many of us are from the Latin American countries. Give me a wave. South America. God has done some great things in South America. Amen. The Argentina revival, great moves of the Holy Spirit. What about Wales? Do we have any Welsh people here? You won't show. You're Welsh, are you? Well, Borda, nice to see you. Are you Welsh? You looked a little hesitant there. Like you didn't really want to admit that. You didn't want to admit that. Do not be ashamed of Wales, for it is the power of God unto song. Do not be ashamed of Wales. When we think of the kingdom of heaven advancing, we tend to think that God is doing something somewhere else. That there's a move of God taking place somewhere else. That God is moving powerfully in Africa or India, Wales or Ireland or Scotland. But actually, church, I want to tell you, God is moving powerfully here. The kingdom of heaven is advancing and it's advancing in you. Have you noticed that you've changed? Some of us aren't too sure, but have you noticed that you've changed? That in spite of your best attempts to resist God at times, he seems to work with you and through you to such a point where your life has become slightly unrecognizable. The kingdom is at work inside of you. God and his kingdom has come to live inside of you by the power of the Holy Spirit, and it's an unstoppable kingdom. It's a kingdom that's powerful. Let me explain. The kingdom inside of you is greater than the culture around you. It's time for the church to understand that because sometimes we think the culture around us is greater than the kingdom within us. It's time for us to grow in stature and understanding that greater is he who is in us than anything that's in our world. Amen? Amen. Now we say amen, but when we leave here, we say, oh my. Oh my, how does that work? And how do I live with that kind of clarity? But if the kingdom is advancing, here's some things. Put the scripture back up for me. It says the kingdom is advancing forcibly and the violent should take hold of it. So we have this kingdom and it's growing forcefully in us, through us, around us, about us, all over our world, great kingdom expressions of God moving in power are happening. Do you know there are more people praying on the planet than there ever have been in the whole of the history of mankind? Amen. More people coming to faith than there ever have been in the history of mankind. Someone say amen. amen. Or is it oh my? So if the kingdom is advancing and it's advancing in me and it's advancing violently, it says that those who are forceful, those who are violent themselves shall take hold of it. In other words, I can't be passive in this adventure. I must be proactive. I must be intentional about the way I live my life. I must be clear that I am pursuing a kingdom that is available to me and afforded to me through Jesus Christ. It's a kingdom of joy. 
nudge the person and say to them sitting next to you, I think he might be talking to you. Grab hold of it quickly. It's a kingdom of joy. It's a kingdom of love. Do we need a kingdom of love? The world is becoming vastly a violent and almost hate-filled place. The church who are lovers caught up in the love manifesto of Jesus Christ are called to love one another and to love the world in which he's placed us in. It's a kingdom of love and love is powerful. It's way more powerful than you think it is. A man will give up his life to be with a woman he loves. A woman will do likewise. People move to the corners of the earth to be with the people that they love. Love is powerful. Love wins just about every argument known to mankind. And this is true to say that God is love. So it's a kingdom of power, it's a kingdom of love, it's a kingdom of joy, and it's a kingdom of hope. When the kingdom starts to move, and I'm intentional and violent about it, I want to grow in my hopefulness. I want to be more hopeful at the end of my life than I was at the beginning. Now they say that hope is the domain of the naive and the young. True maturity looks hope-filled. If you want to grow in stature, you want to grow in hope, not cynicism. Anyone can be cynical. Talk to me. Anyone can be cynical. It takes intentionality to stay hope-filled. At the end of your life, this kingdom that I speak of should make you the most joyous person to be around, not the grumpiest so-and-so in your family. And we have this bizarre understanding of spiritual maturity. We think if we're miserable, uptight, Religious and judgmental, we're mature. Somebody get that? That's probably my wife. <laughs> but this glorious kingdom that's been deposited in me, this wonderful invitation that's been afforded to me, is to grow in the fullness of the kingdom, to grow intentionally, violently, passionately, to grow consistently in the reality of what's been afforded to me through Jesus Christ. I cannot be casual, therefore. I cannot be occasional in it. I must be intentionally consistent. So I need to be violently opposed to things that steal the fullness of the kingdom from me. That's why sin cannot live in my body, although I'm broken and frail like everyone else, because it hinders the advances of the kingdom. Amen? I need to be violently opposed to any form of thinking that makes me consistently live like an orphan. Because I can never truly enter into the full inheritance of the kingdom if I consistently believe I'm disqualified by shame, guilt, fear, or anything else. I have to be violent in my intentionality to get rid of anything in my mindset that hinders me from entering the fullness of the kingdom. Amen? So I have to be violently opposed to a variety of things. So every day is a battle, every conversation is an opportunity, and I must live intentionally moment by moment with that kind of clarity that the kingdom is here and the kingdom is coming and there's nothing I need to allow. Every vain imagination, every false concept, every mindset, every heart attitude, every experience that wants to draw me back to where I was and who I was, I have to be violently opposed to. 
Now, you've heard of mic drops? That was a phone drop. <laughs> On the other hand, I must be violently disposed to some things. I must make up my mind to live joyously each day. Now, I know for some of us, this is a big deal. How many of us live joyously each day? Anybody awake? Is there anybody awake here? <laughs> How many of us live joyously each day? My intentionality has to be joy. Now, listen, I'm not talking about superficial happiness, which is connected to my circumstances. I'm talking about living in the nature of God. How many of us know that God is a joyous God? If he's joyous and I'm his and he's mine and we're in relationship, I should be joyous too. Not fake happiness, not circumstantial madness, but a robust clarity and certainty that the God who's with me is more than enough for me. You know, because we sing it, don't we? But we don't always live it. You're more than enough. You're more than enough for me, Jesus. And then on Monday, we're adding five other things. So I must be violently opposed to anything that's stealing the fullness of the kingdom. And I must be violently disposed to doing and being and pursuing what God has for me. And that's why this is so exciting. It's really, really exciting. Now, some of you haven't got the memo and I'm waiting for you to catch up. But it's really exciting that God invites us to live with that kind of reality. Jesus said these words, I have come that you should have life. Oh. <laughs> life in all its fullness. In other words, Jesus is saying, everything that I have, I give to you. Everything I am, I afford to you in your journey as a human. I as a human modeled it for you. I as a human demonstrated it to you. I now offer you the invitation to live with that kind of intentionality. Now you'll notice when you look through the narratives of Jesus that he consistently went back, back, back to the source of that kind of life. He consistently went back. Let me give you an example. He feeds 5,000 people. Now many of us would write a book, do a series of television shows and go on the road. But Jesus goes and spends time in the presence of his father. Why? Because the life doesn't come from the crowd. It comes from the intimacy. It comes from the connectivity to his father. Everything that's demonstrated publicly has been fashioned privately. Now, for us to live with that kind of abundance, we need likewise to be disciplined in such matters. So the kingdom of heaven is advancing. Amen. Amen. And the violent shall take hold of it. That's me. Let me try it again because you're a bit slow today. The kingdom of heaven is advancing. Amen. And the violent shall take hold of it. Okay, now I hope that's true. I hope that's true. I can't be the judge of your heart. I can only be the judge of my own. So Jesus, on the back of that, begins to share some things with his disciples that will bring clarity about this kingdom. Because they, like you and I, had lots of questions about how this works. And our title for this particular conversation this morning, I think, is The Mysteries of the Kingdom of God. Understanding the mysteries of the Kingdom of God. Now, how many of us would say that because Jesus was healing the sick and raising the dead and cleansing the lepers and changing people's hearts, that could be described as a move of God? Well, let me clear it up for you. God was moving. Yes? 
through and in Jesus, God was establishing his kingdom. How many of us have been to meetings where there have been 5,000 people hanging on our every word? God was moving. Yes, it's a move of God. And so we need to look at what Jesus is saying from that kind of context. This is not a wishful thinking kind of thing. This is we're right smack bang in the middle of a move of God. What is this about? What is it not about? And how do we engage with it more intentionally? Now, the kingdom of heaven is advancing. I'll just keep going until you get it. Is that okay? <laughs> if, if anything, I'm relentless. And the violent shall take hold of it. So on the back of that, we come into Matthew chapter 12, and Matthew chapter 12 begins to help us understand what happens when the kingdom of God is advancing. Jesus starts a dialogue with his disciples, and it's very clear from the initial text there that there is opposition to the kingdom. The Pharisees and the scribes and the people who were important in the eyes of the Jewish people were actually quite against what Jesus was doing, and many were being critical about him healing on the Sabbath. So what's the first lesson we learn about the kingdom of heaven advancing and the violent taking hold of it? Is that we will be in opposition. If God is doing something in your life, the soil and the environment by which he builds in that is opposition. Now, some of us want it easy. We think that if God is doing something fresh in our lives, we should just coast until Jesus gets back. God wants to keep us happy and clappy and wealthy. And any adverse circumstances, we bind the devil. We bind him in Jesus' name. And we think that that's spiritual warfare. But Jesus is saying, the kingdom is here. The kingdom is moving. The kingdom is extending. It's forcefully taking hold of people's lives. And they're forcefully taking hold of it. And a sign to that reality is that there is adversity. There are authorities around you that are against what God is doing in you. Somebody say amen to me, please. So I was praying for somebody recently and they came forward and they said, could you pray for this in my life? And I prayed for them and they came back the following week and said this, I'm never coming forward for prayer again. I have had the worst week of my life. I'm never going to ask anybody to pray for me. And I looked at them and I said, hallelujah. And they looked at me like I was mentally ill. And when we kind of eventually calmed down slightly, I said, that's a perfect sign to you that what you ask for God is doing. We must meet to be sharper with this church because we think when God begins to move, it's going to be easy. Do you know that there are demons opposed to your improvement? There are spiritual forces of darkness that are trying to stamp out a move of God in you. Can you hear me, church? I must be on my guard and ready and intentional, the violent will take hold of those things. Not the casual, not the come say, come saw, but the violent. I must be vigilant in my violence, even when opposition comes to oppose what God is doing. And there's something about that opposition that's really good for you. Hallelujah. Let, let me say this to you, and then you can shout amen or oh me. All things work together for the good of those who love the Lord. Okay. Amen. Oh, me. Now, how many of us know that all things are not always nice things? That sometimes all things are some bad things. You see, when I first got saved, I went home believing that my mother would be excited I was born again. 
She blessed me with holy water from the fountain at the door, smoking a cigarette and said, get out of this house. We'll have no false gods in here. As you can tell, she was from Wales. I thought she'd rejoice for me. She thought I had betrayed everything in our family and she did everything in her power to try and put out the fire that had begun in my heart. Now I could crumble and cry and weep and say how terrible it was or I can say something good has happened to me because those that are against me seem to be many. It might be that what God has for me is much. You see, the bigger the giant I have to slay, the greater the breakthrough I have today. If we truly understood how the kingdom moved, we'd be asking for bigger problems. Because the bigger the giant, the greater the breakthrough. I don't want to slay pygmies. I want to slay giants. I want this thing to move quick. I don't want to be on the road for eternity thinking I've done two steps forward and three steps back. God, let the breakthroughs come and give me the courage in the middle of it to stand and worship you for the weapons of my warfare are not carnal for the tearing down of strongholds. But I will build myself up in the Lord, knowing that greater is he who is with me. And no matter what comes against me, God will bring victory if I stay in humility attached to my new reality. So the kingdom is moving. Jesus is working miracles, there are signs and evidences of God amongst people, and it's breathtaking and powerful and glorious, but not everybody is up for it. Not everybody is as excited about Jesus as some of the disciples are. And the opposition comes from governmental authorities around them, and they are now questioning some things. They're saying, if this is your kingdom, why haven't you overturned these people? If this is your kingdom, why hasn't that happened or that happened or that happened? Jesus in chapter 13 will come to something that's really important for us to understand today. If the kingdom is moving, you will have problems. So if your life is easy, if you're coasting your way to eternity, you need a little adversity. Do you know the church is at its greatest when it's in its biggest battles? You see, when we look back over history, we see that God birthed the new thing by the Holy Spirit in Acts, but actually it was a great, adverse, powerful, destructive thing trying to steal from the people of God what the Spirit of God had deposited in them. And in that adversity, the gospel spread like fire. It spread like fire all over many parts of the world. At the end of chapter 12, it gets worse. Aren't you grateful for the Word of God? Amen? It's getting worse because something greater is about to happen. So at the beginning of chapter 12, in the move of God, the disciples are concerned. They're saying, look at this. These people are against you, Jesus. And now as you get to the end of chapter 12, you start to discover that Jesus' own family have turned against him. Take heart, church, whenever your family turn against you for the sake of the gospel. Take heart. Now, if, they, if they're against you because you're being silly, then that's up to you. But actually, if you're pursuing Christ, if you are giving your life to pursue the kingdom and there's some people in your context that don't get that, don't want that, and are questioning your sanity, 
Lift up your voice and praise the Lord because your breakthrough is about to come. It's about to come. When it gets closer to home, it's closer to home. It's not out here somewhere, it's in here somewhere. And so God is moving and the enemy is whining and people are joining with him and they're complaining and it gets right up close and personal. Whenever God begins to do something fresh and new by the power of his spirit in his plan for your life. Now, in a minute, we're going to look at some things that we need to think about as we prepare for all that God is doing and will continue to do. We said the kingdom of heaven is advancing. Are we all in agreement with that? Did you meet yourself? Now you need to work with it and you need to pursue it. We went through all of that. Did it say also that the violent shall take hold of it? In other words, I can't be casual about such matters. I need to work with the spirit until I'm actually in the fullness that Jesus has promised me and provided for me. Amen. Am I talking to the back there? Amen up there. Did we notice together that when God is moving in a fresh way, there's adverse situations? Behind every adversity is a glory. It's a gateway to a greater experience with God, a more profound reality than the one we're working with. And when the opposition gets very personal, that's when we lift our voices and our, we rejoice because we know that redemption is nigh, that God is about to break in and break through in a particular way. Now go to chapter 13 with me. In the context of a move of God, with all of that clarity around what happens when God begins to move, the disciples come with lots of questions, as you and I would, and say, what does it look like, and how do we know that this is God, and how do we work with what God is doing to his purpose and his end? In Matthew chapter 3, and verse 1, it says, that same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Verse 2, such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it. And while all the people stood on the shore, then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. He was scattering the seed. Some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they were withered because they had no root. Other seed fell amongst thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop 160 or 30 times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let him hear. A couple of things to help us with this. The Gospel of Matthew is a chiastic movement of literature. So let me explain what I mean by that. In chapter 1, we see that God brings people into his kingdom. Often when you look back through the lineage, you think why and how, but he brings people into his kingdom. Okay, that's chapter one. In Matthew 28, we sense that God is sending people out from his kingdom. So those who have come in are now being sent out. There is a move of God through the church that's to go and make disciples of all people, baptizing them in the name of the Father, all of the stuff that you're familiar with. Okay, in Matthew chapter 2, we see that Jesus is in exile. He has been sent away from his birthplace because Herod is coming to, to kill off the, the, the infant boys, to stop the Messiah from having his rule and to, and to thwart the plan of God. In Matthew chapter 27, we see that Jesus is separated, almost in exile from relationship with the Father as he's hanging on the cross and he says, it is finished. 
In Matthew chapter 3, we see the baptism of Jesus coming into agreement with the plan and the purpose of God, filled with the Holy Spirit afresh and given to water baptism. In Matthew chapter 26, we see Jesus baptized in the sins of humanity for the sake of God's glory. And these concentric circles come right down until they arrive at the heart of the gospel in Matthew chapter 13. And right here, I want to say to you, that everything pertaining a move of God and how God wants to move and how we can be part of that is starting to unfold for us because it is the seed by which all things come to pass. So the kingdom of heaven is a seed. And if you were to look at this, the rest of Matthew is the fleshing out of what this is about, that the kingdom of heaven is about seed. Now, let me help you here. Was it not a seed that was planted in Mary's womb? And that seed grew to be a child and it grew up to be a man who died on a cross for your sins and rose again three days later gloriously from the dead, ascended to the heaven and seated at the right hand of the Father and he will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead and his kingdom will know no end. A seed, a seed changed the course of your life. A seed changed humanity's relationship with God and a seed opened up the kingdom to, to you and to me. The seed of Christ in Mary's womb, the salvation for mankind has been talked about for the last two and a half thousand years nearly and we have been brought into the reality of the power of a seed. Everything that God does, he does in seed form. The day that you gave your heart to Jesus, a seed fell because he scatters liberally. We'll come to that in a minute. And it fell into soil that may have been broken or damaged or bruised, but somehow it penetrated. And that seed became a relationship between you and God the Father. That seed has changed you from the inside out. You are unrecognizable from the broken person you were prior to Christ. He has done a new thing. You're a new creature. You have a new hope and a new life and a new identity and a new purpose for living. Amen. Come on, if we're going to worship God, let's do it well. So right at the heart of this chiastic structure, Matthew draws our attention to this parable. And it comes on the back, as I say, of questions that the disciples have about how God is moving. So let me go through some of the mysteries that can become for us the most glorious invitations to walk with God in this new dispensation that he's afforded us. It says in verse 2, Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many parables. Now, a parable is an alternative reality. So Jesus is saying to his disciples, you have thought that a move of God would look like this. You have predisposed ideologies about how I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And we've identified some of them. They believe that the Messiah would come and overturn Rome. And you can look through the narratives. Jesus never did that. In fact, he said, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's and render unto God what is God's. So God had a completely different approach to what he wanted to do than the coming in and destroying all the powers. Christ came in a submersive way. He came as an infant, hidden from eyes and brought up in secret and then revealed when he was 30. So God will move as God chooses to move. And we're waiting like these are waiting for some big dramatic thing to happen. And actually God is submersive in the way he transforms human lives. What happened when you got saved was secret. 
It became visible eventually, but it was a private matter between your heart and God's. And that which was happening in you began to change some things around you. Some of you dress differently. You talk differently. You go to different places and you hang out with strange people. It's called the church. When you look back, you would never have thought that that seed would have produced that kind of visible, tangible evidence that what happened to you is real. What happened to you is profound. But like the disciples, we have an idea on how we think God is going to move. Now, can I ask you a question? Because we're talking about a move of God. What do you imagine a move of God would look like right now? Let me help you because I've kind of been around this a bit. Church is packed with people. That's what we think it looks like. Thousands upon thousands of people worshiping Jesus. That would be good. That's a good day out, amen? Come on. It's a good day out, isn't it? Okay, that's a good day out. Lots of people in love with God. But actually, we've had some of that. Did it change society? Did it bring the reformation of culture that God intended it to? You see, revival is for the church. But reformation is for the other people outside the church. God wants to bring a reformation through a move of his spirit. So if we're experiencing God, it should affect other people in a positive way. Amen? If I'm having a fresh move of God in my life, I should have a fresh move of God in my marriage. I should have a fresh move of God in my relationships, a fresh move of God in my giving. Fresh move of God in my endeavor to reach people. Amen. Because if this is real, it's real for purpose. It's not just to bless me. It's for God to bless me more as he uses my life to bring blessing to other people. So Jesus throws down this alternative reality to the one that they're presuming is the way that God would move. And he starts by clearly indicating to us that every true move of God is initiated by the Father. The farmer went out to sow his seed. Now let's just breathe for a moment. I am so grateful for that. What it does, however, do is kind of give me a little bit of uneasiness around some things because I think if I'm honest, I've been guilty of trying to make God move by some things. I think, and I've been guilty of this, I think if I pray harder, God will move. Do you mind me making funny faces? I just want to check you're watching, that's all. Yeah? I think if I worship more, God will move. Now, because there's something in this, it actually does work in part because what happens is that I feel closer to God when I worship him. So I can think that there's a move of God taking place that may not necessarily be a move of God in the way and the manner that he wanted. I think if I pray more, well, let me ask the question, what is the goal of prayer? Is the goal of prayer that we pray? Think about it. Don't the Muslims pray? So the goal of prayer can't be that we pray, because lots of people pray. Amen? Talk to me. Come on. Lots of people pray. So the goal of prayer is that we connect with God. If I connect with God through worship, that's a good thing. But I've noticed some things that we kind of think that the song is the encounter. The song is a bus that takes you to the encounter. Okay, it's the vehicle by which God brings you into his presence. 
And it doesn't matter whether you've got a ticket for three stops or ten stops. It doesn't matter whether it's a fast song or a slow song. The goal of prayer and the goal of worship is that we meet him. God's intentionality to offer us invitation through worship is that he inhabits the praises of his people, that we connect with him, that we encounter him, that we experience his love, that we're overwhelmed by his joy, that we're caught up in the glorious story of Jesus being formed in us and worked through us so that the world can see that he is good. But moves of God will not be manipulated by people's efforts and energy. And it's true that we should be praying, and it's true that we should be worshiping, and it's true that we should be giving our lives on a daily basis. Present your bodies as living sacrifices which are holy and pleasing to God. But a move of God of this kind of magnitude, where everyone can be caught up in what God is doing, has to be a sovereign act of God himself. But the good news for us all today is God delights to move. Amen? He may well even be moving in and through our lives currently. The other thing we notice about a move of God is this. Not only is it God's initiative to do that, he is the catalyst by which a real move of God takes place, but actually he is very generous when he moves. So, so it tells us here that the, the farmer goes out to sow and he sows liberally. Aren't you grateful that that's the heart of God, to be generous to humanity? I mean, church, where would you or I be if God had to put us through particular categories to get us into the kingdom? The seed of God's word was given liberally over our lives. And it may have happened more than once. It might have happened 10 or 15 times before we responded to it and, and therefore were included in it for all that God wanted to do. So we know that when God moves, it's an initiative from him. We also know that everybody's invited everybody's invited to a move of God. You know, I used to think that you had to be a certain kind of person to live in revival. But actually, when I look across the history of revivals, I realize that God, by the power of His Spirit, brought people into those experiences that in many cases were disqualified by the way that they lived their lives. People broken, people in abusive situations, people even abusing were caught up in the narrative of the inclusivity of God's generosity when the Spirit began to move. Now, I've been in two moves of God thus far. I believe that I'm here in KT for what will be the biggest. You know, you know there's, there's the, a big move happening in the world at the moment, and I believe I've been positioned by God, an invitation from Pastor Colin to be part of that. Yes, we are a significant church in the city, not because of our numbers, but because of our calling, because of the anointing that's on this house. We have a mandate to the nations. Thank the Lord for Pastor Colin, who's out all the time, taking the good news of Jesus to all kinds of places. Keep praying for him, please, and Pastor Amanda, for all that God's doing in their lives. But actually, this church has a unique part to play in what God wants to do in the end times. But he does choose and invite all to partake in a fresh move of the Holy Spirit. That means you are invited to his new party. Now, I don't know how many invitations you get a week, but as I get older, they get less. Okay, but how many of us are excited that we can and have been and are being invited to an outpouring of the Spirit that can change the world? 
that didn't sound like excitement. I don't know what excitement looks like in your house, but we usually squeal. Or smile, at least. That's a good thing. So we know that when God begins to move, there's adversity. Amen? We know that God begins to move. There's an alternative reality. And we have to be working with what God is doing, not opposing what God is doing, because our preference become a prejudice if we're not careful. So we have to be open-hearted, generous to the move of the Spirit. We know that when God moves, he, he invites everybody. It's his initiative, that's true, but he invites everybody to come. Many are called. Few are chosen. That brings me to my next point. That although everyone is invited, not everybody will come. And even those who come, as you read further into the passage, they fall away for all kinds of reasons. When God began to move in the church I used to pastor in Glasgow, um, he moved in a very particular way. We, we started to see people get physically healed when we would worship together. And, and I'm not exaggerating. In fact, I'm, I tend to be the opposite. I tend to be quite conservative. But hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people were given a gift of healing through that move of the Holy Spirit. Right in the middle of that, right in the middle of God moving, which was not our initiative. We desired him too, and I think that's good to be in agreement with that. We positioned ourselves in prayer and worship and all of that. Actually, he began to move, but he began to move in a way that seemed counterintuitive to the way he had moved previously. So in 94, 95, by the power of the Holy Spirit that moved through a church called Toronto, we were caught up in what I would only describe as, as the message of the Father heart of God. And so many broken lives over that 13-year period were brought back to life by the power of the Holy Spirit. People whose lives have been trashed found the treasure of Jesus. Many came to a place of wholeness. You know, it says he will bind up the brokenhearted, set the captives free. Our mandate as a church was that reality. Every time we would come, there'd be another story of somebody who'd been brought into freedom and liberty. And actually, what people would do is they just wanted to sit in the presence of God and enjoy his presence. And they'd been through so much, you know, you couldn't blame them. They've, they've had difficult and hard lives. And so when they came to church, there was a, a growing sense of passivity. People weren't pursuing the Lord anymore because they thought works were carnal. They wanted God to pursue them. And of course, that's a two-way street. God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Okay, but we can't make God do anything, but he wants to do so much in our lives that when we're intentional towards him, he begins to move in power. And so God moved thousands of lives impacted by his healing touch internally. But one day I stood on the street corner of Glasgow. We started a little work, trying to work with people who were caught up in the sex trade. And I'm standing on the street corner and I said, God, why have you brought me here? Because the pastoral ministry in the church was very strong. They didn't need me to be there. 
God led me to Psalm 51, and this is what he said. He said, this will work itself out before your eyes. You know, it's the Psalm of Lament from David where he's called out, and he uses this phrase, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. He pleads with the Lord not to take the Holy Spirit from him, knowing that it's only the Holy Spirit that brings life to his soul. And then, listen to this phrase, then he says this, and then I will teach transgressors your ways. So I started preaching and saying to people, we're moving, we're moving in the spirit, you know, as pastors do. We're, mo- we're always moving if you're a pastor, okay? Things always have to keep you moving. We're moving from a, from a season of healing into harvest. And everyone said, hallelujah. Hallelujah. No, they were a bit more intentional than you. They said big hallelujahs. Hallelujah. And, and what they thought, okay, what they thought was, was that God would continue doing what he wanted to do that God would continue what he had been doing. You see, because they'd enjoyed the richness of his presence in his gentle father heart way. A guy called Mark Stibbe, after four months of me trying to preach to the church to help them move forward, he came and he said out of uh, John chapter four, he said, I feel I have a word for the church. I always love it when guest speakers have words for the church. And he said, you're moving from a season of healing into harvest. And the church stood to their feet and clapped and celebrated. And I fell to the floor and I said, what was I talking about? (laughs) For the last four or five months, God. And from that moment on, we started to see God move in different ways. Not only were there incredible signs of him moving physically in people's bodies, but just in one month alone, 258-something people gave their hearts to Jesus genuine converts out of this moving from healing to harvest invitation. The thing is, church, God is always moving. The kingdom is always advancing. We don't always understand what is or isn't happening. We do have paradigms that God wants to break down because he wants to move in fresh ways. He has plans in in his his heart for the nations and for the people of God. And he doesn't always like to repeat what he's done before. His mercies are new every morning. His faithfulness is great, but he brings fresh bread to the table to satisfy those of us who have tasted and seen. And now we are invited to something greater and something more. And that's just the nature of God in that way. So it's God's initiative to move. He's generous and he invites everyone. And not everybody will come. In that move of God in Glasgow, some of the people who'd seen a move of God 15 years before did not journey with us into what God was doing. They became offended by what the Spirit was doing. Now, I, I, at the time, I must confess to you, was just in utter confusion because every week we would pray for God to heal the sick. When we had our prayer meetings, we'd pray, God, just move in power, move in power, move in power, move in power. And when he started moving in power, some people said, that's not God. That can't be God. Why can't it be God? Because it's not gentle. Do you know that he's the lion and the lamb? We just need to get our heads opened up to that. And so God began to move. And some of the most unlikely people, that's another thing in this particular passage, some of the most unlikely people come to the fore in a move of God. So you'll notice that the numbers are ever decreasing here. God scatters liberally. It's his initiative to do so. Everyone is invited, okay? And then Jesus starts to unpack that not everybody will receive. And even those who receive the kingdom may run with it for a little while, 
out of personal interest. But there will come a moment when it will become clear that some have the seed of the kingdom living in them and they will produce a harvest that's far more than even the crowds that initially come to that point. I'm going to finish with this thought. In that move of God, there was a young man sitting at the back of our church. He'd been a heavy heroin addict, and uh, he had come to faith. God had been gracious to him, and he couldn't do the father heart message. He couldn't lie on the floor. He couldn't soak. I mean, his head was so full of stuff, he would find that very, very challenging. And his life started to change. You know, God began with the seed of hope and life and love, began to transform his life. And he began to get free and he began to get healed. And God restored the so many things that were stolen from him. He'd been an addict since he was 12 and he was now 31. There were so many things stolen, relationships, family. You know, he had trashed just about everything. And bit by bit, we saw God restore everything because the seed of life inside of him has the power to transform things around him. Amen not just him himself. So God began to renew some things. And those who were at the front in the prayer ministry, who were all for a move of the Holy Spirit and prayed, they actually faded over that six-month period and went to the back of the church because God was not moving the way they wanted him to move. It wasn't a love feast. It wasn't gentle. It was powerful. And, and God was moving in people's lives. I mean, some people would shake under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. One night, one man ran around the building for about two hours. I could do one lap and I'd have to sit down for a week, two hours. And when, when we talked to him, he said, what was happening? He said, God told me that I must be violently, you know, pursuing the kingdom. And so every step I took, I felt like I was taking another and another. And when we talked to him afterwards, we realized that God had been taking ground in his life. Over that two-hour period, he went from someone who'd been very insecure to somebody who knew who he was in Christ. And he began to preach for us in that context. God did a wonderful thing in a two-hour marathon. But many people drifted to the back, and this young man drifted to the front. And when it came to the point, and it always does, where those who catch it first and are excited about a move of God started to fade, and their lives started to kind of cause stress and tension for them, the crowds began to dwindle, and we would have a few hundred people, not multiple hundreds, and guess who sat at the front every single night? This young man. And every time there was an altar call for anyone to be healed, he wasn't part of our ministry team. He wasn't trained in any way, particularly he would come forward and he'd lay hands on blind eyes and they'd open before your eyes. He'd speak to deaf ears and they'd unclog. He'd talk to people who were in wheelchairs and they'd stand up under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and he prayed for a young lady who had cancer, four tumors on her breast, and they went like that in Jesus' name. God began to move in power. And some of the people who were in the last move of God kept coming up and saying to him, stop praying like that. Stop praying with such conviction. You should pray like this, Father, if it's your will. And this young man said, it's always his will to heal. It may not always be our will to receive. And there may be reasons why that doesn't work so well, but God heals the sick. And so I would look down as we're preaching and these two be at it. The old regime and the new move of God. And I'd love to tell you that it blessed my heart, but it crushed my soul. 
It can be the case that God wants to move in a way that you and I have not as yet experienced. I leave you with this thought. If the kingdom of God is advancing and the violent take hold of it, and God is moving now, where is he moving? I can tell you two areas that I sense a move of God in, connected to us. In our prayer life, there has been an increasing appetite on a Wednesday. A few hundred people come here on a Wednesday and we seek the heart of God. We're not here to pray a list of things. We're here to encounter him, to grow in our knowledge of him, to be stirred in our spirits to love him more and rejoicing as we leave to go out and serve him in the context in which he's placed us in. There is a move of God in the prayer life of this church. And it's not just our meetings. People are telling me all the time that in their downlines and their cells, they find themselves currently drawn towards prayer. They're just seeking the heart of God. They know that nothing will happen unless they start to discover something fresh and something new. And so they're positioning themselves for what God is doing. Now, that doesn't sound very remarkable, but actually that's not that different to this. Jesus was amongst people and some people got it and some people didn't get it. Some people were in and some people were out. Some people came quickly and others moved swiftly. On, on, the, on the day that he spoke the Beatitudes, many thousands left Jesus. And in fact, if you think about it, the handful of people that were left were 120 or so in the upper room. By those people, God has transformed the earth. It doesn't need multitudes of people. It just needs somebody to receive the kingdom of God and to start to walk with that, like the young man in the church who came from the back to the front and was relentless and violent in his pursuit of the kingdom of God, even if the religious rulers around him had some alternative thing they wanted to, to proselytize to him. He kept vigilant in praying for the sick and people got healed outside and inside and on the bus and all over the place. Everywhere he went, the kingdom of God came. But God is moving and calling us to prayer, not dutiful prayer, but prayer full of delight in the nature and the character and the wonder of God. Delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Amen? Amen. Amen. Second thing God is moving is through worship. There are times and moments when the Spirit just takes us past the song. I think we're sometimes a little hesitant with that sometimes a little self-conscious in that. But I anticipate that in the days that lie ahead, the song will just become the moment by which we connect with our God and God will begin to move in power in our gatherings. Do you know there are songs to sing that will be written by the Holy Spirit in those moments? There are prophecies that will come whenever we're moving in the spirit of that realm. There are demons that will flee whenever the church moves in that realm. There are stories that are being written when the church begins to move in that realm. And you know, these are not just uncommon things. All around the world, two things that God is doing. All around the world, two things that God is doing. Did I say that? I can say it again. All around the world, two things that God is doing. Is he's moving through prayer. Young people are giving up their lives to pursue his presence. You know, for 30 years, you couldn't get people to a prayer meeting. There's coming a time when we won't be able to keep them away. Okay, they will want to gather around his presence. The second thing is that God is moving 
through worship. There's a worship movement taking place in our planet. In fact, some of the largest churches are growing because they have captured something of the heart of God for the worship encounter experience, and people are moving towards that. My question to you this morning as I close is, is the kingdom advancing? It says it is from the days of Elijah to John the Baptist and beyond to now. Is it having a great work in you? Or could you be a little bit more violently disposed and violently opposed to some things? Will you allow God to move as he wants? Because he is moving and he will continue to move. And everyone is invited. God is generous, delights to pour out his spirit on all flesh. Amen. He's indiscriminate in the way he touches hearts and lives. Some will come that we think have no right to be there in the midst of all of that. And those who think we have a right to be there might not be there at all. Initially, there'll be a great flurry and then there'll be a great hurry because people have lives. And you know, if you want to host a move of God, you can't ask this question, God, what are you doing for me? That's not the question. This is the real response. God, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. It's going to cost me my life to see God move the way he wants to move through me. It's not business as usual. There'll be some unusual business attached to it. And will you be the one that will produce 10, 20, 30, 40, 100 times? If the seed was to fall in your heart today, are you ready for all that he wants to do? Are you excited by the fact that he's moving?